Yes, hello, and welcome to another episode of Bio 2040, where we interview thought leaders in the field of drug discovery and biomedical research. And we're trying to find uh, the biggest bottlenecks as well as opportunities for entrepreneurs and academics to start new ventures and collaborate together more effectively. And today I'm very excited to have on the show Dr. Rachel Harding. She's Hello. Uh, hi, hi, Rachel. <laughs> Great to have you here. Uh, you know, Rachel is a researcher for uh, Huntington disease, looking at uh, the Huntington uh, molecule, and uh, she's also working with the Structured Genomics Consortium, a group that I've been following for a while. And so I'm, I'm really uh, excited and honored to have you on the show, Rachel. Welcome. Well, thank you very much for having me here today. Great. Rachel, why don't you uh, start off and briefly introduce yourself? How did you get started with uh, researching Huntington disease? And then also maybe how did you how did that uh, uh, idea of uh, coming about and, and, and doing the uh, working with structured genomics and the open research that you've been working on how did that come about? Yeah, so um, I completed my PhD uh, quite a few years ago now, uh, back in 2014 <clears throat> at the University of Oxford, um, and I did my PhD was in structural biology supervised by Susan Lee. Um, so I was really interested in, you know, having a bit of an adventure in my postdoctoral studies and training. Um, so I was keen to move abroad and I saw this opportunity to work for the Structural Genomics Consortium or the SGC um, in Canada. Um, and they are sort of world leaders in solving the structures of important protein molecules, which are interesting biologically or therapeutically. Um, so this seemed like a really good fit for my skill set and developing more skills in that kind of area. But also they have a very interesting philosophy in the way that they communicate their science, um, being as open as possible, um, not patenting any of their findings, um, and working in these large collaborative networks to be as efficient as possible with working on different therapeutic targets. So that kind of ethos really appealed to me. Um, and so far, it's been a really great opportunity for me to develop my skill set, not only in uh, structural biology but and drug discovery, but also in exploring the boundaries of open science and science communication. Wonderful. Yeah. So, so you know, I, I came across uh, you because you, you have a blog as well uh, where it's called the Lab Scribbles. And uh, you're, you're on this blog, you're, you're publishing uh, sort of what you're finding day to day, right? Which which is is quite different from what most scientists do. How did that? Uh, maybe tell us how did that idea come about uh, of, of publishing that blog and and uh, what's it what's it uh, what's it doing for you now? Yeah, so I mean, this really came about the due to the fact that you know even in the age of uh, preprints becoming more and more popular, you know, we're still releasing these traditional format manuscripts with data that we might have discovered in the lab maybe two, three years ago, if not more. Um, and so to me, that doesn't seem to be very cutting edge, I would argue. Um, it's still a slow process. And even though preprints are really good at cutting out that in-between review time and sort of bouncing around different publishing houses, you know, there's still like a big delay in communicating data to the wider sort of public um, and different stakeholders. So especially in the instance of Huntington's disease, 
you know, as a structural biologist, there's really limited information in the traditional published literature for understanding what this Huntington protein molecule that I'm interested in looks like. Um, and we think this is for a number of reasons. You know, this traditional publication format that people use is one reason, but also this is just a really challenging project. The Huntington protein is really big. Mm-hmm. So making any reagents to work with it um, or even making, you know, just doing very basic experiments can be incredibly technically challenging. Um, and so for us, an open notebook really solves a lot of those issues. It means that every kind of incremental success can be documented and shared with the wider community. Um, it kind of puts, um, there are research, you know, out there into the Huntington's disease community, which we are new to. And so allows us to kind of generate a collaborative network um, for this project. But it also means that we're just doing things faster. Um, so that was kind of how that originally came about. And so, yeah, like you say, I have a blog, labscribbles.com. And on there, I kind of try and write almost like a lay summary of each mm. experiment that I'm doing. And then I link through to Zenodo, which is where I put the sort of nuts and bolts technical data and methods and so forth um, is all archived within the Zenodo data repository. Great. So so the Zenodo is where the technical stuff is relying. And so I'm assuming that the, the scientists uh, that are also working on on Huntington's disease is, is sort of that, that's where they're referring to. How is that, uh, in, in, in terms of your documentation, uh, is it, it, do you have, how did you choose to, the format that you're choosing and the way you're sharing it, is that sort of, is there a standard? Did you come up with that? Uh, how do you make sure that that's understandable uh, to other scientists um, so that they can use it in their, in their research? So I think, uh, some of the most important things to note at this stage is that, you know, we're not the SGC is not the first ever group of scientists to come up with the idea of open notebooking. There is, you know, a long history of people releasing their lab notes in different formats. Um, for us, we chose this format because it's very scalable. Um, you know, we're using a WordPress blog, which is very like non-technical to set up and use and expand for a large number of users. Um, and Zenodo is a free data repository, which any academic has access to. Um, so that makes it um, very easy. And the reason that we have the two different formats um, was because we need to have the technical details there. You know, I want a scientist to be able to replicate my data or critique the experiments I've done by having ev- absolutely every technical detail there. Mm. Mm. But that is only really interesting to another structural biologist, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. to have the largest impact possible and to make it you know, relevant for not only you know, different Huntington's disease researchers who might be clinicians or they might be cell biologists mm. or you know animal model workers or you know you know what different types of field but within the Huntington's disease domain um you know we need to have something which is a bit more like of a summary mm. um and I think it's also important to note that you know open science is not just about science for researchers it's about science for everyone mm. um, and so it's something that is really great and kind of we didn't anticipate how successful this side of the project would be when we began is the communication with the general public um, and the communication specifically with um, Huntington's disease um, patient Mm. groups and advocacy organizations Mm. who have been incredibly supportive of the project. Mm. So that's been really awesome, actually. That's really cool to hear because one of the things I'm trying to understand here with, with Bio2040 is sort of, you know, you guys seem to be running this uh, format this and it seems to be 
you guys are saying it's really working. It's leading to uh, support and collaborations. Uh, tell us a little bit, because there's also some, at least there's a reason for why more people haven't done that, right? Do you have a sense yeah, of, of what, what's happening there? Maybe maybe you were facing some of these obstacles internally yourself, or maybe just in, by talking to a lot of your colleagues. What are, what are the biggest things that are preventing people from, from having these more uh, open lab notebooks? Well, I think there's a, a number of very valid reasons. Um, the first one of which would be um, just the time commitment mm. of doing this um, and writing everything up. I mean, for us, um, I don't think it makes too much of a difference. The SGC runs an electronic lab notebook system anyway. So all scientists who work for the SGC are required to write up their notes um, and all of their experiments into our ELN system. Um, and so what I try and do is to like kind of minimize the time burden that having an open notebook is, is to ensure that I write up my ELN in exactly the same way that I want to submit it mm. to Zenodo. And then it's trivial for me to just copy paste or export um, without it taking too much time. Mm -hmm. And initially, I would say that the blog was taking me a lot longer to write as I was really having to think about how to explain some of these like more complicated and jargony science procedures. Um, but I'm slowly getting a bit quicker and better at that. So but always room for improvement. Got it. Um, <laughs> the, uh... yeah. Okay, so one, one thing you're mentioning is really the, the time commitment and sort of uh, one way yeah. you've, you've already uh, explained a potential solution to that is like, well, if you write what you're writing down anyway, which scientists keep a lab notebook, and if you write it in such a way that people uh, can also read it, then you sort of don't have to republish it. So that makes a lot of sense. But but one yeah. that may be that may be one fear or one thing that may uh, prevent people from thinking, well, it's going to be all this additional time. I really want to be doing research. I don't want to be writing all this yeah. stuff. So the blog is one issue. That's a, you're saying it's actually a valid reason. Uh, of some sorts, you're saying it's, it, it doesn't take time uh, off of your work, but we'll get into the benefits in a later question. But, but okay, so I'll have the time time commitment as 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 one thing to to keep track of. What else is there? Are there other reasons uh, that are preventing definitely? So I would say that um, the biggest fear, which we hear is kind of the number one within like our sort of internal communities and also just like my anecdotal evidence from having chatted to different people at conferences and so forth, is the fear of being scooped in your work. So especially working on like kind of high profile, high impact projects, you know, there is a real reason, you know, a lot of people who have been scooped become very fearful that sharing uh, at a very early stage can be uh, damaging if they are worried that another group is going to just basically copy and take their ideas without giving them credit mm. so i mean that is that is an issue and the thing is there are definitely like predatory scientific groups out there who you know do not appropriately credit other people for work that's being done mm -hmm. um but i would just say that like uh, my personal and somewhat limited experience is that actually you know there's kind of different ways that we i've tried to overcome this which is first of all everything i publish on zenodo is done so through a creative commons attribution license which means that anyone who uses my work uh, legally should uh, cite me mm -hmm. as being, you know, the inspiration of their mm -hmm. ideas. Um, so, I mean, and that is real, true legal recourse that people have if they feel like that's happened to mm -hmm. them. Um, another aspect of things is that, you know, uh, I was trying to find a better phrase for this, but I'm 
uh, I would call it like active sharing. Mm. So if I see groups who are doing similar work to me and I've already done that experiment or uh, I'm thinking about doing that experiment or I have preliminary data or uh, reagents or resources that I think would be helpful to them or maybe I just want them to critique my data, mm-hmm. like I will actively email these groups. Um, and it's so easy when your data is on Zenodo because you can just copy paste the link into your email and you've shared everything with everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that actually having uh, that kind of attitude so far for me, I mean, you know, I'm an N of one, mm-hmm. but it's actually been really positive because I found that most people, you know, if you kind of create this trust environment, mm-hmm. people are happy to share back with you. Mm-hmm. You know, you're no longer working in competition. You become, you know, if not necessarily collaborators um, and that kind of formalized agreement, mm-hmm. you know, you're within each within each other's networks as kind of scientific peers. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a sort of level of respect that comes with that as well, I think. Um, so those are the different things I've been doing. But again, you know, it's tricky to say because the Huntington's disease community of researchers, you know, is really quite a community. Um, and so I'm not really sure like how applicable this would be in different disease fields. Um, so, yeah, we're not sure. So that's why it'd be interesting to see now we've got this larger open notebook network mm-hmm. um, with this uh, larger group of postdocs who are all running um, open notebooks in a similar fashion to me, but in different areas. It's going to be really interesting to see how they all get on um, and what kind of networks and collaborations they make. Yeah, you, you, um, so, yeah, we're looking at Exactly. I just, uh, you guys just announced that a few days ago, right? I think uh, uh, tell us a little bit about that. It's, it seems like an exciting uh, movement that's happening yeah so um, I mean at the moment we have 13 but we'll be expanding to approximately 20 uh, predominantly early career researchers so these are postdocs as well as a master student and a PhD student who are going to be using the Lab Scribbles model where we have um, a blog on WordPress as well as data deposits on Zenodo, which are linked together um, to publish um, all of their uh, findings for their specific uh, research projects. Mm-hmm. So we're focusing primarily with these folks on um, Disease Foundation um, funded uh, postdoc positions mm-hmm. um, as well as rare diseases, mm-hmm. um, just because we feel that those are kind of the lower risk um, projects which are probably more suited to an open notebook particularly uh, yeah so if you have a disease which you know very few researchers are looking mm. at anyway the impact an open notebook can have on just disclosing you know any kind of information on that disease can have a real impact for the disease community with minimal risk of being scooped by other research groups so in this larger effort that's kind of what we're focusing Got on it. that's a really interesting point you bring up and I wanted to hone in on that you think like it, where it is uh, more um, applicable directly and where it is maybe it will take longer until the approach uh, that you're taking might work. And so what I'm hearing now is you're saying probably for rare uh, genetic diseases or essentially a few people working on a specific area, then the impact of, of being open is higher. And I'm hearing also that the risk of getting scooped is is lower because you sort of all know each other and, and, and there's less to scoop about or is that, is that sort of roughly uh, how you're thinking about this yeah definitely i would say that that is true and you know i think um, there's a lot to be said as well about 
connecting researchers who are studying these rare diseases with the communities who are affected mm. by those diseases. So, you know, there's a real opportunity in that aspect as well. So not only from the scientific perspective, do we think that open notebooks are great, but like from a science communication aspect as well, like, I think that's a really amazing opportunity for a project. Um, you know, and I think it's important to remember that, you know, as your postdoc, you're, you're training, you know, this isn't like, you're not, um, a foot, you know, not, you know, you're a competent scientist, but you are still learning and developing different aspects of your skill set. Um, and so I think like having that science communication skill set is going to be increasingly important moving forward into the future as a scientist. And, and so I think that's a really good opportunity for postdocs to develop that. Wonderful. And so, so now, you know, let's talk a little bit more about the benefits because, because, you know, you've been doing that now for some time and, and what I've been reading about that it, it has led to, to new collaborations. You also just mentioned the, uh, being connected with, with patients and patient groups. Tell us a bit more. What have been some, what has been the impact, maybe a little bit in numbers and then some, maybe one or two examples of really exciting collaborations or connections that were made thanks to you being, uh, running that blog and being so open with your research. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some like very, uh, kind of personal achievements that I found with the open notebook. So the fact that, you know, I have to sit down, um, like once or twice a week when I'm writing up the different experiments and then kind of focus and align, like, um, especially in the, in the explanation in the lay summary, I find that actually writing a blog or an open notebook is really great at, uh, keeping an eye on the overall scientific question at hand, like what you're trying to do, being aware of your milestones and the overall project and how it's proceeding. Um, and it's really provided me with some kind of clarity as a scientist. So, I mean, that's kind of a, that was some, some people might consider that a lesser thing, but I have actually found that as part of the scientific process has actually made my project easier in that aspect. But I would say the biggest thing, as you mentioned, is the opportunity to network and collaborate. Mm. And this kind of comes back to this uh, sort of trust aspect of the sharing. So if you share with other people, they seem to be more likely to share back. Mm. Um, also, just having all your work out there, you know, you're really exposing yourself mm. in a certain way to these incredibly more qualified scientists mm -hmm. than I am who have way more experience in the technical side of the mm -hmm. field um, also just like the background and the history of like the research in Huntington's disease mm -hmm. so you know you're kind of really opening yourself up to them mm -hmm. and it's kind of great that you know kind of putting yourself out there um, raising your profile as an early career researcher like for me has led to a lot of opportunities for mentorship mm -hmm. by people who are experts in the field mm -hmm. um And so in particular, so uh, Ray Truant, who is a Huntington's disease researcher at McMaster University, you know, we regularly chat through email. Mm. Any data I have before I've written it up on Zenodo, I will often send it to him and mm. ask him questions, which he probably finds really annoying about, <laughs> you know, all the different background and why do people use this mouse model for this and not for this? Right. And like, you know, what's the history behind this? And he knows a lot of this stuff and he's been really, really helpful. Um, but then there's also the scientific opportunities. So, um, you know, 
I definitely found in the beginning there was a lot of people who really wanted to be involved in the open notebook project and they were keen to sort of support me as like more senior and established scientists um, scientifically so they're mm. sort of helping me with access to resources mm. and so Susan Lee um, who was my PhD supervisor like we reconnected through this project um, and she is now helping me with all my electron microscopy experiments which is really awesome and sort of continuing my training and those kind of aspects of structural biology um and yeah and there's been a ton of other collaborations and even you know quite small things which might be uh you know i've had um someone that i did my undergraduate with who saw my projects online and he was working on some sort of uh, bioinformatics software and he just shot me a ton of data through email saying oh i was looking at your project and i did some analysis here you go you know just use use the data how you want and wow. we published that together on zenodo so that's pretty amazing um that sounds so, yeah, awesome it's definitely been a opportunities yeah yeah that sounds awesome so <laughs> yeah. they just looked at your data because it was there right and then they were like well i already did the work without even like talking to you about it right i mean that that's yeah that, absolutely that's really really cool to hear and it's sort of uh i don't know it seems seems very exciting as a you know from an outsider and i look yeah it's like, really oh my exciting. god people can collaborate without even talking to each other and it's one of the things that has drawn me into this is, is you know somebody could be sitting you know, you're in Canada, but somebody might be sitting in, in, in Berlin and they might have an idea and it, maybe it's, it's, it's 3 a.m. So they can't even call you or email you, but they'll just, they can start working, right? Then they can email you the next time they'll already have yeah. found something. So that's, that seems, uh, I just, that's just. And that's what we want to happen, yeah. right? So the whole point of having this attribution license, um, the Creative Commons attribution license on all the data is that, you know, the ideal, you know, the measurable successes for me mm. of this project, um, will be who uses my data, who uses my protocols. And we want people to take it and redo stuff with it or, you know, you know, we don't have to collaborate with us to work on the data. Mm. You know, as long as you acknowledge us, we don't mind. Like that's that's the whole point of doing this project. So when you get emails like that, it's so exciting. And you know, it's pretty cool. I'm I'm stoked. So so (laughs) no really, because you know, one of the things I've been uh, looking at in my research is how a lot of sign decisions that are that scientists are making is driven by, you know, the, the incentives that they're going after. And, and so, you know, as a, as a scientist, you're sort of, uh, if you're in academia, you have to, uh, you know, get published, publish or perish, right? And, and you want to get published yep. and so because publishing means that you can get uh, promoted or you can at least uh, stay in academia. And so it's really important to get published. And so uh, the, the, the fear of scooping, I think, is one is sort of a core issue we've talked about. Is that, have you, do you feel that that's ever happened to you? Uh, maybe that first, uh, do you know of any instance or, or do you think that, that that's, you, you don't know that that's ever happened? Um, so there was definitely one instance, uh, I won't go into specifics, but mm. there's definitely a group where I actively shared some data with them and then they went ahead and published very, very, very similar data, mm. <laughs> uh, not that long after, right. but you know, that's the only time that ever happens Got that it. I'm aware of. Got it. Um, so I don't know. I don't, to be honest, like, you know, uh, it really does frustrate me because, mm. you know, especially as an early career researcher, you know, I'm not unaware that I also kind of need to play the game and get published. And, mm. you know, it's kind of a balance the whole time mm. um, between 
this being a successful open notebook project, but also making sure that I'm doing science of sufficient quality as quickly as I can mm-hmm. to get it into high impact factor journals. Right. And anyone who tells you that publishing in high impact factor journals is not important anymore in the age of open science <laughs> is probably not applying for faculty positions <laughs> because that's the number one thing that everyone looks at. And so I, you know, some of the arguments that I hear in open science communities where we shouldn't be looking at impact factor anymore, mm. I think it just deluded like Mm. I just don't think that's the case for most people and I think it you know sets it kind of makes open science seem you know not relevant to a lot of people so I'm not keen on those kind of conversations Mm. but at the same time I'm it is a frustrating system Mm. and I find that the current system promotes kind of individual successes Mm. rather than promoting uh, teamwork and efficient and effective science in the way that we do things. So one thing I really do not like in biomedical science is the fact that we have this first author publication system where, you know, that we credit one person mm. really with the achievements of their nature paper or whatever. And that is very, very rarely the case. Mm-hmm. It's very rare that one person has done all of the work, especially now when, you know, we're working as like multidisciplinary um, scientists and we're collaborating with different groups in order to attain these high impact facts papers like I find that really annoying mm. and there's one thing with the open notebook aspect of things where it is a team effort and people can join in as you know they can commit as much as they want or not at all and you know this is a, on the very low end of the scale, but anytime I publish a Zenodo post, anyone I think who has contributed to that, I will name them as an author on mm-hmm. the post if they want me to, you know, but generally I will do it and then I'll retract it later on if they decide they don't want that. But um, yeah, like but I think that's important. Like, you know, I'm not doing all of this work by myself. You know, I have an incredibly supportive team of folks at the SGC who are helping me with all these experiments. Uh, I just happen to be the person leading the project, but there's loads of other people doing really amazing work on the project. And I think at the moment, you know, that's not really rewarded in the traditional systems. Yeah, I think you bring up a very important point. So this open science movement, right? It's wonderful mm-hmm. and it's a mo- almost kumbaya. We all share data and we can get essentially, I mean, what I'm really looking at is like as a taxpayer and as a patient, like, you know, we want results, right? We don't want yep. scientists to be uh, uh, working in silos and then not sharing data and then wasting. Uh, I just had uh, Paul Bastion, you know, and with his, with his uh, study where he says that 85% of biomedical research is wasted. And, and one of the core reasons he mentions is, is exactly that duplication or that not sharing negative results. Yeah. And, and you're sort of really, uh, uh, you know, spearheading an effort exactly against that. So again, I'm, I'm just stoked that, that we're, we're chatting and that you guys are out there doing this. Um, but, but then you, you also mentioned, I think it's important for people that are, that are listening is there are still some risk or basically, you know, if you're still working in, in this, uh, in the system, right, as we all are, uh, you still have right now, at least, this is sort of still very important that you've been published in Nature or Science or Cell, and and uh, you're you're sort of like what you're doing now. You know, we're in a transitioning phase, and you're sort of you're doing the open lab notebook, uh, but at the same time, you're still working on getting on getting published, and you're sort of uh, having to just navigate that field. It looks like and and, and making sure that, that both efforts build on each other versus uh, work against each other. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it's a really difficult balance. Um, And I find that in the first, you know, I've been running this project for two years now, almost. And 
in the first two years, it was, you know, very exciting working out what an open notebook afforded me in terms of opportunities Mm -hmm. and creating these networks and collaborations and, um, you know, all these, all these like really positive things that we've talked about. But now I kind of feel like it's the time for me to sort of, uh, build on all of these positives to really focus down on the science to, you know, really get pushed forward in terms of publication. Um, and we're actually really fortunate that we're at the stage where we're almost ready to submit one manuscript from the, the notebook. Mm. Um, and that in itself, I'm really excited about because uh, so many people have told me, oh, you can't publish uh, science, which has already been deposited elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm really interested to see how that's going to play out when yeah. they're submitting to different uh, publishing houses. And I kind of feel like I really want to submit it to you know, I kind of hope we get rejected so that I can send it off somewhere else and kind of report back in some way, which I don't think is any scientist has ever felt like they wanted before with a manuscript. So I'm just really interested to see what the publishing houses are going to say about yeah. this. But I mean, to me, my argument has always been that, you know, ultimately, I think there's been a huge shift, especially with um, the advent of preprints becoming more and more popular in biomedical mm-hmm. science, that if you are allowed to preprint, I do not understand why you would then not be allowed to disclose the data. Yeah. Um, yeah. In, especially when it's in this kind of not uh, written up into this story, this manuscript format, you know, it's kind of a bit patchy and there's different posts that you then tie together to make the complete story. Yeah. So I honestly don't think it's going to be an issue at all. But a lot of uh, people who have concerns about my open notebook <laughs> style of doing science have raised this as one of the things that they're concerned about. So yeah. getting that first publication will be a big milestone for this project. Definitely. De- definitely. We'll, we'll, we'll see where the, that's where the rubber will, will hit the road, right? And we'll yeah. see. Sort Please of, keep right? your fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I absolutely am. And, 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 and I want to have you back on the show uh, or, or be in touch in some way when we, uh, when this happens. And so we can sort of see what the implications are. Uh, so that's, that's just, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to see how that's going to play out. I want to move quickly just to another area, um, you know, the, talking about um, translating your research into drugs, ultimately, right? We want to help these patients that are suffering from this horrible uh, hunting the disease. Uh, your SGC doesn't take any patents. What is your understanding now? Like, how does this, uh, you know, my understanding talking with people in, in the biotech VC community has been, well, you know, we couldn't... Uh, if you, if, if, you know, if Rachel wanted to do a startup, be like, well, we, you know, you're not going to be able to get a patent because it's all been out there. And without a patent, uh, you can't uh, uh, raise money. And then without money, you can't do the clinical trials. Is there a sense that you're, is there, a, is that a real downside or, or, or what's, how does that play out? If you find, if you actually find something that now can become a drug or could become a drug, it's sort of being validated in vitro, maybe in vivo. It's really getting serious, and now, but now it's all been open all the time. Do you see how, how do you how are you guys thinking about that? How's that going to play out? So I would say that initially for my open notebook project, which is Huntington Structural Biology, you know, there's kind of no aspect of that that is uh, immediately linked to therapeutic development. It's more a kind of biological understanding of mm-hmm. the disease mechanism. We hope that's what we're gonna maybe find out some clues towards. But for other projects from the SGC, you know, we're working on developing these molecules called chemical probes, which are these potent, um, very specific um, in their binding um, capacity and cell-soluble molecules. Um, And the thing is that I think what a lot of folks need to remember in academia is that that is still a long way from a molecule which is likely to go into the clinic, right? Mm -hmm. So at that stage, you know, you still probably 
10 generations of the compound away from having anything which is going to be suitable to go into humans. Mm -hmm. So what you need to do at that stage is you have this molecule which has all these awesome chemical properties and the way that it functions in biology. And this is a, a great opportunity to you know, check that you're hitting the right target, like check that you're seeing the phenotype that you want to see. Um, and the the way the SGC model works is that we don't pass in these molecules because then we can share them with as many people as possible. You can go through the chemical probe portal and, you know, find different uh, uh, ways to get hold of these molecules for minimal cost. And then people can use them in all their different experiments. And then you generate this kind of wealth of data through sharing, uh, which is informative about the, that particular molecular series, but also about testing it in, you know, rather than just five different cell lines in one lab, you'll have five different cell lines in 10 different labs, looking at different uh, possibilities or diseases that you might want to look at. So a lot of the things we do at the moment, for example, epigenetics is one of the big focuses in the Toronto site, mm -hmm. as epigenetics is involved in a ton of diseases. So mm -hmm. we might uh, be making a chemical probe against, you know, an arginine methyltransferase, for example, but that could actually have implications in you know, neurodegeneration. It could be cancer. It could be, you know, all sorts of different things. And so by sharing molecules that we make, you know, we can then send them out to people or people can get them to test them in their disease model and see what phenotypes they see. And I think that's really valuable information. And then if they want to take that, build on it, make something that's slightly better um, and move forward and put it into clinical trials, then great. Mm. You know, that's the, that's the thing that, you know, kind of comes back to the notebook and also with the way the SGC works mm. is that we want people to use our science that we share and we want them to build on it. So, you know, these chemical probes are not suitable to go into the clinic. But if you can make a chemical probe that you think is suitable to go to the clinic after a couple of iterations of chemistry, mm -hmm. then go for it. Like, you know, that's what we want. That's the whole point of what we want people to do. Um, so, yeah, I, for us, it's yeah. Yeah, no, no. Wonderful. I, th I think, I think, you know, I'm just trying to understand here. So, so you're essentially creating sort of the, the basic science, the basic fundamental understanding of how the, the, the disease works, the model of the disease the protein structures and how they interact and, and, and cells. And so then you're saying we're going to do that. And here there's really lots and lots of benefit about from being open. You know, it can share it. It can be a critique. It can be people can add on to it. And then there's a lot of benefit for the general, uh, for the understanding part of the model. But, and then uh, once there is understanding, if there is an opportunity to create something that can uh, you know, reach the clinics one day, for in almost every case, this will be a sort of iteration on what's currently been done, and so that part would still be patentable in a sense. Is, is, do I understand yeah, this correctly? Absolutely. Yeah. So the later down, you know, further down the chain of work, then mm. people can definitely patent that. I think so. I think that's the the general idea. Yeah. So we want people to build on the work we're doing. We're essentially just creating like a toolkit for other folks to use. Got it. Got it. Because I know, you know, I, I came across. Alex talk uh, that he gave at a, at a Springer conference a couple months back and when he was really promoting that concept of open source drug discovery where it seemed like it, it was going even a step further uh, and he, he cited that uh, example with Mitsubishi and, and RaxoSmithKline and, and I thought it was really interesting uh, how that worked and I'd love to understand at some point more on, on how they were able to, it seems like they went further down uh, the, yeah. the drug discovery path and still kept so a lot of that open science uh, uh, mantra if you will. 
So that's a, I think you're referring to Alad's M4K Pharma project, which is kind of the next level of open science and drug discovery. So that's kind of open pharma in a way, mm-hmm. uh, which is really, really cool. So, but that, yeah, but that is different slightly from what the SGC is doing. Got it. Got it. Got it. Wonderful. Uh, yeah, we're, we're almost at the end. What the last question I, I love to ask is, is, is there anything that you're, uh, particularly excited about it could be a technology, could be uh, uh, some kind of research, a tool, anything really that is maybe last couple of months has captured your attention. Something you're thinking about more, want to learn about more, that maybe would also be interesting to to our listeners. Um. <laughs> wow. What a question. Um, so I think well, I mean, the thing that uh, my mind is really on right now, um, mm. and that I'm super focused on, is. Uh, watching the uh, growth of all these open notebookers that we have at the SGC and trying to grow this open notebook community. Mm -hmm. So one thing I would say is that we have a Slack for anyone who is interested in open notebooking is welcome to join. If you message me, you can message me on Twitter at LabScribbles or send me a message um, and we will send you the invite link. Um, And we're really keen to grow a community of open notebook scientists. You know, it's, there's very few people that I meet who think it's a really bad idea for every single project. And mm. so we're trying to find people that we think, you know, we can help them towards working in open notebooks. But we also have this really amazing group of uh, early career researchers in-house who are just embarking on their open notebook endeavors. So mm. I'm really excited to see how they all get on. They're all working in quite different fields. Mm. We have cell biologists, we have structural biologists, we have some chemistry projects. So it's going to be really interesting to see um, how these all pan out and uh, hopefully I have lots of exciting things to tell you if we speak again yeah no wonderful wonderful so so that sounds exciting we will be keeping an eye uh, on what you guys are doing and hopefully uh, uh, spread more of uh, good news that, that come about and hopefully the podcast can also incentivize uh, people yeah, or, to, to check you out so so yeah uh, where can people uh, find you uh, labscribbles.com and, and on Twitter what's the best way to get in touch with you or learn more about how your uh, uh, how your work is progressing? Yep. So there's multiple ways for everyone to get in touch. So you can either send me um, an email through my contact page on labscribbles.com. So that's l a b s c r i b b l e s dot com. Um, and you can also find me at labscribbles on Twitter. Um, please feel free to tweet me or send me a message. Um, yeah, and I'll be more than happy to talk to anyone who's interested in open notebooking, who is interested in doing it for themselves or just wants to find out more about our projects or wants to collaborate on any of the science that we're doing. Um, yeah, feel free to reach out. Great. So listeners, uh, you heard the call. This is a call to action to go check out uh, Rachel and her blog, her Zunoto posts, and as well as uh, make sure to follow her on Twitter. We will definitely be following and uh, yeah, Rachel, I just want to say thank you. Thanks for coming on the show. It was a really uh, captivating conversation. And well, thank uh, you hope for to, having me. Yeah, hope to be in touch and hope to learn more and see more of uh, the great work you guys are doing. Awesome. Thank you.